0: Good morning, friends and family of Mimi. Doesn't that have a wonderful sound to it. My name is Doug Orr, and I was a friend of Mimi's for over a quarter of a century. And as I looked out among you so many familiar faces, uh, I suspect that in your households, like ours, over the last number of days, there have been Mimi stories and remembrances. And you know something, if we retreated to the fellowship hall, and circled the chairs and started telling stories and reminiscences about Mimi, we'd probably finish sometime Thursday. Uh, what a remarkable individual who entered our lives. Uh, I knew Mimi primarily because I served as president of Warren Wilson College from 1991 to 2006. And in the 1980s, Mimi was invited to join the board of trustees by the past and late president Ben Holden who many of you remember and Jamie Clark former United States congressman in 1991 when I was appointed uh, Darcy and I prepared to come to Asheville as our new home but before then we were invited by Bill and Mimi uh, to come to their home for dinner Uh, and for the first time but not the only time we were subject to that great hospitality uh, at by Bill and Mimi. There would be many others, of course. Many of you experienced that. Sometimes quiet dinners, just the four of us, special occasions, uh, the stag luncheons at Christmas for you stags in the audience, the men who would get together and have a gourmet luncheon. And um, often the trustees would convene there at Mimi's invitation for dinner and I'll never forget that Bill often would invite a bagpiper to process us in while Bill recited a poem and a blessing in Latin, an unusual juxtaposition of the bagpipes and a Latin blessing, but that, <laughs> that was our friend, friend, Bill. Um, so many memories of times with Mimi and her work as a trustee, Her leadership talent was quickly uh, acknowledged and she became chair of the board from 1998 to 2003 after having served as co-chair of the Centennial Campaign, highly successful, uh, and celebrated at the Deer Park uh, in 1998. You know, many of you served on boards and many of you served as perhaps chair of a board and it takes a special talent. It's as much of an art uh, as it is a science. I do some consulting work around the country with boards and try to be helpful to board chairs and presidents. And there are many skills and many demands involved, but Mimi had an innate sense that you're born with, I think, and that is how to bring people into the fold, how to be an enabler. Uh, Joel Adams, who is here and was Mimi's successor as board chair, described Mimi as a giant. Not a giant in terms of a domineering presence. But enabling presence to draw people into her circle, to make us all better trustees, better administrators, better human beings in her work uh, as chair. Uh, I have been receiving uh emails and notes from past trustees over the last week remembering Mimi. I would like to share one of those uh, from Betty Rash, an old friend in Charlotte who was once vice mayor of Charlotte. And Betty's reminisce went this way. I guess it's not surprising that Mimi would pass away soon after Bill. I absolutely adored her. She was so full of life and truly one of the most authentic people I have ever known. That from Betty Rash. Mimi, as you know, Uh, adopted many, many causes. In fact, it's just mind-boggling to read back and all the boards and causes she served with, be it education, be it the arts, uh, be it the environment, uh, health, the homeless, whatever those causes might be. And as we know today, so often causes draw us into politics, and politics more than ever divides us, unfortunately, in our country. But Mimi would never let that happen. With her civility and her ability to draw people into her circle, she refused to have adversaries or enemies. They simply were friends with some different points of view. And it reminds me of a wonderful little poem by Emily Dickinson. He drew a circle that shut me out, heretic, rebel, a thing to flout, But love and I had the wit wit to win. I drew a circle that took him in. Words for our times, it seems to me. I think one of the secrets of this leadership talent and this very human talent Mimi had was her down-to-earth personality. She was egalitarian. She saw all folks as equals in walking through life. Uh, She was not awed by celebrity, and Lord knows she rubbed elbows with a number of distinguished celebrities around the country. I remember once we were having lunch together and Mimi had been out at the estate the day before and doing a lot of work uh, for Biltmore, and uh, I said, well, how did it go, Mimi? And she said, well, went this and this and this, and uh, then she thought, she said, and uh, and I gave uh, Redford a tour, and I said, Redford as in Robert, and she said, "Oh yes, he was seemed to be a nice, nice guy." Uh, many of you may remember in 1995 the centennial of the founding of the Biltmore Estate, and it, it was as if going back in time. Uh, uh, late night breakfast, dancing in the banquet hall, and uh, Mimi greeted us at the front door. We were all were feeling very Victorian, but what she wanted to say to us was, "See no dress." I'm wearing my pants slacks. Uh, Now, they were very nice slacks, palazzo slacks. And if you look at the back of your program, you see Bill and Mimi dancing. Dini, I suspect that photograph comes from that event. And Mimi is wearing her slacks that she was very, very proud of. Uh, She was not only down to earth, but she was connected to the earth in so many ways. Uh, One with nature, it would seem. Uh, So many stories about Mimi, the outdoors woman. Uh, She uh, loved to hike, of course. Uh, We uh, once were with her in Aspen at the Aspen Institute, an institute for board chairs and presidents. And after the couple of days of hard work and workshops, we thought a hike in the Rocky Mountains would be a lot of fun. Hunter Valley, a hanging valley under the Rocky Mountain skies. But a very long hike, and Darcy and I said, you think Mimi will be okay with this? Well, those of you who've hiked with Mimi up to the town of Mount Leconte know better. We basically tried to keep up with Mimi for the next several hours as she strode out uh, in her element following a mountain stream and in the Rocky Mountains as well. Uh, some of you, Ginger, uh, Ryan, Chase, remember our times on the French River in northern Ontario, four hours north of Toronto, Really in the backwoods, we followed the route of the French Voyager fur trappers for four or five days in those great big Voyager canoes. And Mimi was, of course, paddling with the best of us, uh, maybe the best of us, as a matter of fact. And in one of our stops along the side of the river, we decided it would be fun to go in swimming. Now, the water never gets warm in northern Ontario and on the French River. So we were all in our bathing suits, dipping our toe and our fingers in the water, taking our time, a lot of time, trying to get into the water. Uh, Then we noticed splashing 50 feet out into the water, you know, there was Mimi uh, swimming away like a fish in her element, and so we followed Mimi's wake in the water as well. Her athleticism certainly was a factor there, but. The point is, Mimi was not only connected with nature, she felt one with nature, and I think it's one reason why she was so committed to being a good environmental steward of our planet. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I suspect there are a lot of French broads out there, members of the French Broad Garden Club. She loved you. She loved that work. She loved the greens market that's taking place uh, as we speak the next few weeks leading up to Christmas, and of course, she was honored with the Garden Clubs of America Conservation Award uh, back in, I uh, think, about 1990. Uh, no, about 2007, I believe it was. I want to say just a word to uh, uh, Bill and Dini, uh and Chuck and Ginger. Uh, Mimi was so proud of the fact that you carried on the great work and vision of the Biltmore State. She was equally proud of your parenting and the grandkids that you gave her and of course what is legendary now are travels with Mimi individually she would take one of her grandkids on a travel somewhere in the world and when I first heard of that before we had grandkids I said we're gonna do that with our grandkids now we've not been to the Galapagos but we have made travels for that one-on-one time travels with Mimi that you'll hear about I'm sure uh, from from Chase. Um, In many ways, Mimi's was a life journey of the heart. Uh, Do you remember the little red Honda that she would blitz around town in, jump in, and a moment's notice would visit a friend in the hospital or take food for dinner or whatever the cause may be? She did that endlessly with board of trustees, members, but I suspect she did it with every one of the boards and every one of the friends she had, calling on them, comforting them, and uh, conserving gasoline, but not conserving humanity and love as she made those rounds in the little red Honda we'll never forget. Um, A journey of the heart, and so I return once again to the words of Emily Dickinson, the poem Not in Vain. If I can stop one heart from breaking, I shall not have lived in vain. If I can ease one life the aching, or or cool one pain, or help one fainting robin unto her nest again, I shall not live in vain. Thank you, Mimi, for sharing with us the blessing of your journey of the heart. Your impact, your presence, will be with us always, as the old saying goes, her absence will be present with us forever.
1: Thank you all for being here today. I'm Chase Pickering, one of Mimi's five grandchildren. As I began pulling together my remarks for today, my wife, Clary, suggested that I read an excerpt from my unpublished book called Travels with Mimi. I wrote this back in 2005 when I was about 17 years old. My grandmother Mimi Cecil is an exceptional woman and a true grandmother to my younger brother, my three cousins, and me in the most unique ways. Those who know Mimi, and even those who have only been acquainted with her for a short time, will tell you that she is brilliant, an endless energizer, a compassionate encourager, and a person of action who puts her heart and whole self into her interests, and most importantly, into those she holds dearest, which of course include us, her grandchildren. As my brother, my cousins, and I have grown, we have been fortunate to do so with Mimi close by. Her guidance, influence, and indomitable spirit are a constant presence in each of our lives, Each grandchild has his or her own favorite memories with Mimi, but there is one special event that we have in common because of her, a treasured family tradition that Mimi started with her grandchildren, the 10-year-old Trip. As As I approached my 10th birthday, I knew instinctively where I wanted to go. Africa, of course, because of my love of animals. However, Mimi had wisely set limits, and travel in turn was restricted for the time being to North America. So my second choice was the San Diego Zoo. Um, With my mind made up and our hearts set on the zoo, Mimi and I struck out on what would become the first of many grand adventures together. Adventures that would ultimately take us around the world. I knew my 10-year-old trip was special, even as a 10-year-old. But with each new birthday, I realized just how significant that trip was. It was more than a trip to the San Diego Zoo with my grandmother. It was an experience that sealed a secure bond of love, respect, and mutual appreciation. It was the foundation and formation of a genuine friendship that bridged any generational differences. It was a realization that my grandmother and I were of one heart and mind about many things. It was an opportunity to share our common spirit of adventure, our thirst for knowledge, and our shared passion for caring for our world and all living things. With such similar focus between us, Mimi and I became enthusiastic travelers, stretching her initial 10-year-old's travel restrictions a little further every year after that, setting off for new horizons, always excited to see what new destin- the new destination would bring. So one day I will find a way to share all the stories that I documented in this book. But some of those other most memorable uh, moments with Mimi include watching the first elk step foot back into Great Smoky Mountains National Park after being extinct for almost 200 years, canoeing the French River in Canada, floating in a hot air balloon over the great migration of wildebeest and zebra and Tanzania, observing the giant tortoises of the Galapagos Islands, and witnessing the graceful minky whales feeding in Antarctica. And high on that list, too, is the moment when Mimi and Doug Orr introduced, introduced me to Jane Goodall when I was 15, which sparked another incredible journey in my life. But I think Mimi and I would both agree that the most thrilling memory of all was that day that we walked among a half a million king penguins on the sub-Antarctic island of South Georgia. Later that same night, we became shipwrecked at the bottom of the world when our boat ran aground on an uncharted rock avoiding an iceberg. We did make it home safely, but our world views were forever changed. Mimi truly was my companion in adventure. These trips had a profound impact on my own identity and purpose in life. These travels opened my eyes to the beauty of our planet and also showed me firsthand the many pressing issues facing these ecosystems and the species that call them home. That is what inspired me early on to follow in Mimi's footsteps to give back generously. Her compassion towards other people, animals, and the environment was demonstrated by her genuine commitment to so many nonprofits. She gave her time, money, intellect to move us beyond the status quo, always seeking the right solution and never afraid to share straight up her own opinion with the crowd. Mimi was an extraordinary force for doing good. As you can see, Mimi was my grandmother friend, mentor, and hero, all wrapped into one. And we're all so lucky and blessed to have known her. Mimi undoubtedly used the gift of her life to make the world a better place and inspired all of us here to do the same. For that, we shall be eternally grateful to our Mimi.
2: Hello. Um, I just want to say how proud and glad I am to see you all here today to honor our mother. Um, You've been such, all of you have been so supportive of our family these last few weeks and we're just very grateful for your presence here today. And thank you Doug and Chase for those amazing remarks about mom. Uh, We have appreciated all these special tributes that have been given, particularly in the the, um, Asheville Citizen Times, some beautiful articles that have appeared for both mom and dad, and we're just very grateful for that recognition of their successful lives. Um, So we're here today to celebrate a very special life of an amazing woman. Um, You've already heard some wonderful stories, and I thought that I would just share some things that I have learned from her along the way. Um, When Bill and I were younger, mom was very insistent that we learn some basic skills. Maybe not the ones you're thinking of, but she was interested in us learning how to swim, biking, horseback riding, tennis, uh, uh, snow skiing, and um, so we launched off for years learning these skills and that was the beginning of her encouraging us from the very beginning to step out of our comfort zone and to take risks and to learn how to fall down and get back up again. And I think that a lot of that early, those early lessons were also about forming new relationships and friendships with people who shared different interests and in that way sort of helped us to broaden our communities and the base of people beyond just our school friends and um, I think that that was an important lesson as well but always underlying all of that was her theme of adventure and fully experiencing life to the fullest. Mom so enjoyed her adventures with her friends and her family and her grandchildren and uh, I'm just gonna highlight a few because Doug and Chase have really given you the breadth of some of her adventures, but from summer holidays at Polly's Island with the Baileys to annual 100-mile trail rides to treks up Mount Leconte with the Woodies um, and all those friends that went with you all um, to ski trips with Jack and Sissy Stevens and Ann Robb to... Um, visiting her longtime friend and college roommate Maxine Combe and um, her husband Howard, to square dances at the Clarks and the Greens Market and all the French Broad Garden Club meetings, especially with her friend Gay Sims and all of her fellow broads, to ladies luncheons with Grace Plus and her other friends and family, and to her community board service and political rallies with her good friend Carrie Owen. She always participated fully in her, with her relationships uh, with her friends and her family and I think that was a, a big lesson as well. Now all of you that know mom know that she never met a stranger. She used to embarrass me greatly when she would get on the elevator and just start talking to whoever was there. She'd just start a conversation and I, I used to embarrass me and probably Bill, too. <laughs> and, but then I realized that, he, that she was really teaching us how to be more open and friendly and to be more connected to all people in all walks of life. And so now I talk to people on elevators. I can't seem to help myself. It's, it's something that she sort of encouraged. So um, when mom became ill, I learned about true dignity and grace. I also learned about perseverance, courage, and strength, and how important it is to maintain a sense of humor, as well as a healthy dose of gratitude for all those who were wonderfully caring and encouraging along the way. From mom's doctors, Dr. Rice, Dr. Knoll, and Dr. Cogburn, to all the wonderfully compassionate and supportive caregivers and Frith household members, All of whom are here today and sitting with the family as she would have wanted. We are just, our whole family is so thankful for all of that support. Because thanks to all of you, Mom was able to remain at the Frith in the comfort of her own home, which was bright and cheerful and full of sunshine. So, I get to take a break when this happens, right? Okay. So, some important lessons that I've learned from mom include experiences are vastly more important than personal possessions, that the greatest gifts are love and friendship, that we are all connected, and just as there is no I in teamwork, there is no such thing as us and them, there's only we. That living life to the fullest is the greatest joy, that following your heart and fully participating in community endeavors is vastly rewarding, and that we shouldn't judge a book by the cover because appearances are often deceiving, and that life is uncertain and should never be taken for granted. So in closing, I'd like to share with you a definition of success. by Ralph Waldo Emerson, and this is a plaque that has been in the breakfast room at the Frith for many years, Uh, Everyone from the Frith will recognize this. Um, It was given to Mom by the American Legion Auxiliary of North Carolina, and this is a, a, a group, a women's patriotic organization that supports veterans and their families. So here's success. To laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of young children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a little bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have success. I love that, thank you. Whoever's <laughs> saying that, thank you. Oh. We need voices of little children at times like this. I believe that all of you will agree that mom lived a very successful life and we remain so proud of all of her accomplishments. She was well loved and will remain in our hearts forever. Thank you.
3: The object of pilgrimage is not rest and recreation. To set out on a pilgrimage is to throw down a challenge to everyday life. Houston Smith. Mimi Cecil saw life as pilgrimage. It was about throwing down challenges to herself, to the world, to those around her. And you don't throw down challenges unless you believe the things you're asking to be challenged have some inherent capability to respond. I mean, if you did, that would be pretty rude, actually. But she loved the challenge because it spoke to her about what was in herself, what she had yet to learn and see, because she believed the same for all of us, that the challenge would pull out of something out of us that we hadn't learned, or seen, or experienced yet. To throw down a challenge is to live from a place of humility and vulnerability. It's to live in a state of ceaseless awe. It's to live in a place of continual self-examination. When you don't go to Antarctica and the Galapagos and swim in water colder than God intended it to be, if you think you know everything, but to have a new adventure that would push you beyond yourself, push us beyond ourselves... You do it because you believe in self-examination and learning. What do I not know yet? What do we not know yet? What have we not experienced about one another yet? And what will give us the space to do so? Because Mimi understood that deepening relationships with each other, with ourselves, with penguins, with the soil, with the water, made all of us more human. There's this wonderful coincidence today as we stand here in this space. In the parish hall, the building that runs parallel here, if you were to step into it, you would find about a dozen beds, some tables where meals are shared, and it's there because of people like Mimi Cecil. If you live in Asheville, you may have seen a news report last week in the paper about Homeward Bounds program, Room in the Inn. It's what Mimi's about. It's what this community's about. It's saying, how do we understand what we as a community have and live together with it? It's saying, how do we recognize that there are women who are in transition in their lives from a place of being without homes to a home? And how do all of us gather in relationship and share the gifts we have? Homeward Bound, that has the gifts and skills of working with people in transition, gathering churches across the city to come together and provide for a week at a time places for women to sleep in safety, to share meals, not some kind of a food line, not saying anything bad about food lines, but here when you have meals together, the people that cook and the people who are spending the night and the women all sit around a common table with not paper napkins, but cloth napkins, and talk about how was your day, and share stories. Because it's not at room in the inn about who has and who doesn't. It's recognizing that as a city, we're a community, and we're called to be in relationship. That's why Mimi was so passionate about Homeward Bound, because it was about saying, we're already a community, now how do we realize that, and how do we live into it? It wasn't because she simply thought, I've got something to give. It was because, once again, Mimi Cecil knew her life would be different because of being in relationship with the people who came there. About community. It's also why she threw herself into education in so many levels. Because along with her good friend, and and so many of you, but good friend Carrie Owen, she understood that education was beyond politics. That good, solid education for everybody at every level once again made us all more human. That's beyond differences. In the Episcopal baptismal service, we pray that those being confirmed would be filled with awe and wonder in all of God's works. All of you experienced that with Mimi. You heard it in the stories today, awe and wondered. She understood that relationship with the planet would stir that up. There was a a story about her that Bill recalled recently when she was on the board of the Environmental Defense Fund. And the board members had been at a McDonald's and saw the styrofoam, back in those days, and went to McDonald's and said, we would like to challenge you to get rid of the styrofoam for your sake as well as the planet's. And in fact, we're so committed to doing so that we have brought our own engineers who will study your process line system to figure out how that can be done. We would love to see, would it be possible to reduce by 25% the amount of stuff of packaging And as Bill recalled, at first there was some resistance, but they said, You're willing to do the work, to do the study for us? Doug talked about the polarization in the world right now. What if we approached each other more like that? We wonder if we can't do this differently, and here's what we're willing to invest in it. Not just, you know, not only are you not a good American, but God doesn't like you either. You know, that's it, you know. And I got scripture to prove it, sisters and brothers. Beware, preachers with Bibles. (laughs) Prove anything we want, Doug, on it. But that wasn't their approach. They said, we're wondering about it, and we wonder how that would work for you. And so they did the study, and for the first couple years, saved about 25%, hit their goal. But the engineers at McDonald's got so energized by it that they started examining other parts of their supply line, from the farm to what you got on your table at the counter and they reduced it by 50%. Because a group wondered, had imagination, and cared enough to be in relationship, not just to critique. Bill also talked about how, needless to say, they made a lot more profit by not using up all that stuff. And profit is not inherently bad. Don't hear me saying that. But as I was hearing... Bill was talking about people called it win-win, and win-win's kind of a curious position and a kind of an interesting saying. And I agree with you, Bill, because really, when you think about win-win, what it probably is more about is like self-examination, self-examination, and vulnerability, vulnerability, and willingness to examine ourselves and each other. And typically, what we call win-win doesn't really happen unless both sides are laying down something and being vulnerable. And so, Mimi, Mimi, I could hear, uh, we talked about profit, and I could also see if this doesn't feel like her voice. Why would we call, I'm wondering, why would we call something a profit when its production has cost people in the planet? Could you hear Mimi saying that? Why do you call it profit if it creates loss? But she wouldn't say it with some kind of vindictiveness or political edge. She'd say it to make us go, wow, what does that mean? What does it mean to live like that? Throw down a challenge. Let's go on the pilgrimage and see where it takes us. How does this create life for all of us? And she approached McDonald's like she approached gorillas, and she approached penguins like she approached us. How does this create life for all of us? And as several people have already mentioned, she did have a great sense of humor. That also had wisdom one day many a number of years ago when our daughters were elementary and middle school i was at a community meeting down at the biltmore offices downtown and was sharing and talking with Mimi about our daughters riding horses and she said it's really good for young girls to ride horses and i said i know i said i'm just blown away when i look at them working with these animals that are at least three or four times larger than them and they're not scared and the care and all that they're doing in that. It's just, yeah, it's really, it's really great for them. And she said, that's really good, but there's something much more important. And I said, well, what is that? She said, the thing is, they fall in love with the horses and they don't need to fall in love with boys till much later. <laughs> Amen? Amen. That's right, come on, Episcopalians, say something here. Yeah, I went home to Becky and said, we're doubling down on the horses, let's go. Because Mimi understood that, finally, it is about love. It's about love of the creation. It's about love of what's behind the creation. It's about loving neighbors as selves, loving the planet as ourselves. I lift up my eyes to the hills, Grace read. Why? Because it grounds us. Because when we look at those hills, we realize this beautiful paradox that we're part of something that is so much larger than we will ever be, and it in no way diminishes us. We lift up our eyes to the hills because the hills remind us that we are in relationship with something much larger than ourselves, with the gorillas, the penguins, the trout, the dirt, each other. Mimi understood that life is pilgrimage. Life's about love and relationships. It's about awe and challenge. It's about self examination and what brings life to all of us. Amen.